This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast, bringing together some experts, hearing your stories and taking your questions too. We're in conversation with Principal Lisa. She is a former nursery manager and former nanny and mum. And we're an expert when it comes to all things child behaviour. And we're turning our attentions to picky eaters. Some of the common pain points, the pitfalls that we as parents fall into and some strategies to help. We're also asking Morsley Health about the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. A yogipreneur sharing his journey of wellness after having a heart attack at just 32 years old. Our very own resident geek Dinesh updating us on the latest tech news and finding out what to expect at Art Dubai. Now, according to research, the first 1,000 days of life, pregnancy, early and late infancy, are particularly vulnerable to the impacts of the environment. Simply said, this indicates that the brain, the body, the immune system are growing and developing dramatically during this period. So your child's physical environment, the food, the social interactions can have such a long-lasting impact on their health and well-being. But what if one of those components becomes a battleground? We're talking picky eating today with Lisa Sherrington Boyd, a.k.a. Principal Lisa, former nanny and nursery principal. She's a mum, consultant in children's behaviour, including potty training and, yes, eating. Lisa, I'm not going to lie. You're here for purely selfish reasons (laughs) because I am struggling quite a bit with my five, nearly six-year-old who started out life as being called Tabitha Jean the eating machine because there was there was <gasps> I love n- that name. there was nothing she would eat i was so smug i would that there she is you know a fistful of broccoli there she is sweet potato there she is trying anything everything and then it all changed and i feel like it changed around 2 years and i want to talk to you a little bit about that kind of common milestone but it's definitely getting more and more limited so i'm curious to you What are some of the most common concerns when it comes to food that parents are coming to you with? Well, I've got one other topic I'm obsessed with outside of potty training, and it is mealtimes. It's such a passion of mine because it can be fixed, but it's a real pain point. Mm -hmm. So It's emotional as well. It is emotional. And that's, I think that's the key point here. So I, I ran a workshop um, about two weeks ago for Blossom Nursery and it was open to anyone in Dubai. And we had 300 families book in. The, the Zoom couldn't let anybody else in. Gosh. And each family had sent me a question. So I knew what, what the pain points were. Um, my child will only eat white things. The beige. Yes. My child used to eat a lot. Now they don't. Mm. My child, my toddler eats less than my baby. Okay, and I'll talk to you about that in a moment. Mealtimes are mayhem. They're stressful. I'm begging. I'm feeding my child. They'll only eat with an iPad. They won't use a spoon. Nanny feeds them, even though I told her not to feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't eat at nursery. They're not eating at school. The list goes on, and it's a real anxiety pain point for families. For us, I think the the nursery thing is actually really interesting because... I don't, I don't think I went to nursery. I went to kind of preschool. And then when I got to school, age four or five, it was school dinners. And you had your tray and you got what you were given and you had your knife and fork and you sat down and there was, it was a shared experience around the table. Everyone was eating the same thing. With our kids, we haven't got that at school. Um, so it's packed lunches the whole way. And my husband said to us recently, he's like, I really don't think 
that the knife and fork skills are there. And I wondered if that was something that you'd noticed as well. Yes. So there was actually a study done by Ofsted um, that came towards the end of lockdown in the UK. And it was a study done on the impact of COVID and lockdown and what skills might have been lost in that period where the children are at home. Yes, they noted in a reduction of mathematics and English skills, Mm -hmm. um, they saw an increase in undesired behaviour. But they saw a decrease in table eating skills Okay. post-COVID. I wonder if it was a COVID thing, because we weren't super affected by it in terms of school and things like that. But it was interesting to think of that coming out of the UK. For us, I think it's just the choices that we've made as parents in terms of their food. And I think that thing about feeding them, I totally get that because sometimes it's just faster for me to be shoveling some Weetabix in the, you know, in a mouth in the morning. Yes. So we've made a couple of changes. Okay. I'm kind of curious to get your take on them. So we have a breakfast bar in our kitchen um, and they would normally eat there. And there's a TV behind them. It seems to be more distraction. So we've moved the dining table. They're having their meals at the dining table. So the TV's table. behind them. They can't see the TV now. They're in a, they're in a different room. Okay, great. Um, and we're trying to have more meals that require a knife and fork. My older one's great. She's very happy to try stuff. The younger one, as I said, it's just becoming more and more and more limited. And if she sees a speck of carrot, if she sees a pea, she will clamp her mouth shut, say she's not hungry and say she just isn't interested anymore. Mm. And then I resort to bribery because I don't want her to be hungry. So I'm like, okay, well, if you know, let's have three mouthfuls of the veggie noodles and then, you know, we'll have a marshmallow. And she'll, she really wants the marshmallow. She really wants it. So she'll have it and then she'll gag and she'll spit it out. And then she's crying and I'm like, well, we're basically creating some horrendous core memory here around food. And I don't want any part of this anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like the way that you say that you don't want any part of this. I don't. I find it so upsetting. Okay. So you are responsible for what your child eats, where your child eats, when your child eats, but you're not responsible for how much your child eats. Mm -hmm. We have to give some autonomy back to the child for them to be motivated to be an active participator in the meal experience. So I was thinking about um, coming to chat to you today. I always love coming and hearing how the girls are. (laughs) Um, And I think one of the things I would want to say to you, if I was coaching you right now, I would say, first thing I want to say is, is what is little one getting right at the meal times? Mm -hmm. So maybe name three things she gets right. And then tell me what things that she's finding difficult okay and then we might want to look to find the root cause of why she's finding it difficult and from there we can make a plan to move you forward so is there anything that she is getting right at the table <laughs> i'm just racking my brains i don't does she know. sit on her bottom she sits on her bottom yeah she sits on her bottom okay so that's a good thing now that's one of the things to that i will often look at when i go into a family is the sitting position i know it sounds a bit sort of traditional but it's important that there is back support Mm -hmm. that's sometimes what's the problem with the the, with the breakfast bars yeah um and so they, they need to have a good decency a bit of back support behind them um to give them you know an optimum position an optimum position okay trip trap um high chairs are super for that because it takes them through one of the things i see a lot and i i don't like it is children who are far too old in high chairs children should be out of high chairs really 18 months 
we should be at a little weaning table or a booster seat at the table because what I know to be true is that meals are social and I've just spent the morning in um, a blossom nursery setting with loads of children and what I noticed over and over and over again was the importance of the socialisation of food for these little ones. It's your live clinic with Principal Lisa. Lisa Shankman Boyd with us this afternoon to take our questions on picky eating. And we've had, unsurprisingly, a number of messages through the text line and also on social, which just goes to your point that a lot of parents are struggling with this right now. Um, And I wanted to ask you about some strategies for introducing or reintroducing foods to picky eaters. What are some of the things that can be really helpful or conversely unhelpful if there's something that you think, do you know what? You actually would really like this. It's, you know, let's let's use, I don't know, lasagna as an example. Um, but how can we convince our child to have some faith in that they will really like it? And I think the key word, as you said, convince, because I think actually you, you, you can't convince. It's got to come from, it's got to come from them. Mm. But I would strip it back right back even further and I would say that it's about creating a meal time that sets you up for success and creating an environment around food that also sets you up for success. Paint us a picture Lisa, paint us a picture. Well actually you are the picture because I saw recently on your Instagram that you were in good old spinnies with the girls and they've got those little, they've got those new trolleys now in spinnies haven't they? Yeah, they, I mean they're a danger to the backs of anyone's ankles yeah, and, and mostly mine. But And it's stressful I bet because they're running off in different oh, directions but they love it. Yes. They love it. Yeah. So look, you are doing that. You are the scene. You've set it up that getting involved, that you told me about how um, a nanny's been making zucchini muff- muffins. And I mean, that's great. I think there's probably a lot that's working that you may not have given the attention to necessarily. Because I think there sounds to me like there's a lot working here. Mm-hmm. So if you're a family listening to this call and you're like, I just want my child to eat this, this and this. So a lot of the time I hear this about meat. My child won't eat meat. So they don't, they, they'll eat the pasta, but they'll push the meat to one side. First things first is look at your meal times. If your meal times are looking like something that you set up, you create, there are rituals around it, such as when we have our meal time, we always lay the plastic tablecloth and we put the table, we put the flower in the middle and we put the music on. You sit there, I sit there. And so you create rituals around it so it feels like there's a natural flow. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you eat together. Because eating is really social. And I just spent the morning in Blossoms in Albasha somewhere. And we took meals into into the nursery rooms. Some children were on packed lunches. Some children were on these group meals that were incredible. It was like Mediterranean lentil stew. You would think lots of them wouldn't eat it. But I was sat next to children who were reaching over because they're allowed to serve themselves, spooning great spoons and ladles onto it, onto their plates and eating it because they saw somebody else do it. Mm. We were making conversations around the table such as, you know, would you rather be a giraffe or an elephant? So it's about before you focus on, focus in on, I need them to eat. First of all, look at what you're creating. Have you got that part right first? Um, Cole's been in touch saying, hi both. Lisa mentioned not eating with an iPad. It is something that works for us and it's something I'm keen to move away from. Can you explain a little bit more? Okay, so, I mean, look, in an ideal world, we wouldn't we wouldn't use an iPad. Um, 
it depends on why we might be using it. Sometimes in families, I see that they're using an iPad because it it helps the child to stay in the seat so they can go off and do something else because people are busy. The second thing is they won't eat without it. So your child's got you over a barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of reasons of why we've got iPads in there. So why shouldn't we have an iPad? Well, because actually they're usually zoning in on the iPad. They're not tasting, they're not connecting with the food and we do need them to make a connection with food however I'm not saying to any parent listening I want you to stop using the iPad tonight for dinner and that's the end of it I want you to wean away from it so maybe they can have half the dinner with the iPad and then half without and then you build up to it you explain that's about to happen Mm -hmm. and then you make that step away but you also have to put the ipads out of view because it's very unfair to have them eat the dinner with the ipad on the side totally totally agree We are talking picky eating with Lisa Sherrington Boyd, a.k.a. Principal Lisa, former nanny, nursery principal, a mum, and now a consultant in children's behaviour, including potty training and, yes, eating. We're going to go to the text line, if you don't mind, uh, Lisa, because no name on this one saying, amazing timing, my daughter always says she's full or will eat later when it's something she doesn't like, then refuses to eat and asks for a snack. I'm beyond stressed with this and very close to tying her to a dining chair. I promise I'm joking. <laughs> I have actually seen somebody tied to a dining chair. Really? Yes. Well, no, just because it's like, well, you know, that's the safest place for you at a mealtime. So, you know, we're going to put like a belt strap on you. But actually, we need to be there willingly. No, I hear, mummy. And, you know, all jokes that's aside. So stressful, though. It is stressful. And I think that's the thing here is that we're exercising too much emotion. The stakes are too high here. Mm. And that is something that's quite interesting to me because I find that families now have placed so much emphasis on the healthier foods and nutrition, which is great that they're doing it, but less on the routines. So we're like, I want you to eat protein. You need to eat protein. And we're willing to put protein into our children all day. The kitchen's open all hours. Mm. And in fact, we need to step slightly away from the emphasis being on healthy eating and more on healthy routining. You know, let's get back to the routines because that message says to me is that it's it sounds like it's a bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. If I may say. So that, that I like that, actually. So it's about kind of building those foundations and then food kind of slots into the, yeah. the, the framework of Strip that. Strip it right back. Okay. Start with start with the routine. Actually, what you put on the table is prob- almost the least important thing. It's about how the table works. When So as I said at the beginning of the call is you are in charge of when they eat, where they eat, how they eat... But you're not in charge of how much they eat. That's the part that they need to be in control of. So when I do reset resets with family, so I go out and I'll reset a situation, it feels scary in the beginning when I'm saying, well, let's actually give them some choice. And I was in a family just about two weeks ago and there was a child and... and and dear nanny was trying to get her to eat more and more. And I said, I think this little one is... I think this little one's full because she was literally turning away 
Would you believe it? A few moments later, she did a lovely big poo-poo. Now, she did It always want, comes down to toileting with you, Lisa. It always comes down to poo-poo. I know, but the thing was, she didn't want to eat anymore because she had a poo-poo coming. Her tummy was full. Mm. But she knew what she needed. <sighs> okay. I'm, I'm learning a lot this afternoon. I'm going to see if we can help out some other people, if you don't mind. Angie saying, I'm a very stressed out mummy. Uh, son is 18 months old and for the last few months he won't eat anything apart from snacks, toast and chicken dippers. He'll have a banana at breakfast, but no other time. I have bought and, and made countless things to try, but he won't. He waves his hands in the air and shouts no. His weight is fine, but he is starting to have some tummy trouble. I give him some vitamins with his milk in the morning, but he just point blank refuses to eat anything else. Any other ideas as I'm feeling stuck? Oh, I love this. I'd love to sit down with this mummy. Right, OK, so we've mentioned milk. So my first thought at 18 months is, is are we having too much milk? I'm not saying she is, but it's possible. Is she have, Is little one having too much milk? Say that his tummy's full, mm-hmm. OK? Second thing is, have we got one of each each of the four food groups going in over the course of a week. So a Great Ormond, if you go onto the Great Ormond Street website, you'll see that they say is uh, one third of toddlers are fussy eaters. And so it's very common, but that they are not worried if your child is eating one of the four main food groups over the course of the week. So focus on what he's eating over the course of the week rather than what he's eating in a day because it sounded like we had chicken nuggets we had a banana in there Mm -hmm. toast we had some toast and milk so one of the things i'll do is i'll do like what's called i call it like a bruschetta bar okay so you you get so you make a fun game of it we have to do it in the nursery is you get a toaster you toast loads of toast and you have toppings the children think it's amazing that they can put anything on their toast because actually i was about to say to you about your little one one of the skills to start with before the knife and the fork is spreading so age five, we're spreading. So 18 months, kind of getting there, that your, your, your little boy doesn't have to eat it, but he can get involved in making sandwiches. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like he likes a bit of bread. He doesn't have to eat it, but he's going to get involved. So he's exposing himself to extra food, but he's not necessarily taking it on. And at 18 months, sometimes we see a decrease in appetite because the growth rate has started to slow. If you think between the ages of six months and 14, 15 months, they're almost doubling in size, aren't they? But at 18 months, they're slowing right down. So they're not as hungry. Coming to that, Amit asking, um, when giving food, should you give the healthy, this is his quotation marks, the healthy food first, e.g. cucumber before a cheese sandwich? That's really interesting because when, um, when I was at Blossoms in the kitchen this morning with, with their chef, and we were talking about this and he was saying, well, they've got their main course, which was like Mediterranean stew. And then afterwards they had a range of fruits. Ellen Satter who I gave you the name of before. Ellen Satter's amazing. That's my podcast sorted for my drive home. Mm -hmm. Okay, she doesn't suggest that you put the, the fruit comes second, that the fruit comes with the food, so that we're not placing that some foods are more important than others. It's just food. It's just fuel. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, who's to say that a strawberry, strawberry, you know, is not the same as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Hope that helps that much. Now, what about signs and signals that it might be a sensory issue? You know, it could be a texture issue. What have you seen with families in that? 
Yeah, I see. I see that quite a lot, actually. And I think that um, it, you know, if family feels very worried that we are we've gone past that kind of eight months where you're you, you know where they're meant to take on textured food mm. and they're really not taking it, it is worth considering seeing a, a pediatric feeding specialist just to making sure that that everything's developing in the right way. Um, so I did a reel last week for um, with Easy Peasy. They've got this, I mean, I have to say Easy Peasy is an amazing range. Um, and they've got little drinking systems, everything so carefully made to think about the developing mouth. Ooh, okay. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. What, so what kind of products are they? So for it start with, they've got these kind of look, look like teethers, but they're not. So they are like oral tools to develop the jaw skills that you're going to need to chew and swallow. So what age group are those for? These so guys? those are starting at, you know, kind of six months so that they, the hand to eye movements there and that they're chewing and sucking. And then as you're starting to wean, so that's the big argument for baby led weaning mm-hmm. is that that children need to develop a strong swallow and baby led weaning helps develop a strong swallow so if you've got sensory issues then maybe that we haven't got a strong enough swallow you know that's aside from perhaps um you know a neural diversity um route that you might go down but first of all look at the fundamentals um a question here from uh, back saying do most kids just grow out of it Oh no, well, she's I making a face. She's making a face. Well, I don't know because, like, here I sorry. And I was in this kitchen this morning, and um, and you should have seen the amount of tomatoes, the amount of tomatoes they were cutting up in this Inspire Me kitchen. They said, Lisa, could you cut these tomatoes? For, you know, because we're going to film you. And I said, Oh no, I don't really like tomatoes. I do not like tomatoes or cucumbers, and yet I'll eat everything else. I have a thing about things that are cold and slippery. I have a thing with um, with a little bit of texture. I cannot stand bananas. I hate the noise that people make when they eat them, but I cannot cope with it. It's a little bit the same with mushrooms. So this is why I find it quite hard with my kids, because I'm kind of like, I understand why you don't like some things. But conversely, my brother, for probably about a year ate nothing but mini sausages and baby bells. And now he's a strapping yeah, young yeah, man yeah, of yeah. 37. You know what I mean? So things do correct That's right. to an extent. But I guess it does depend on when you kind of catch things. Yeah, so I mean, look, I've been working with children and family for years. So I'm in touch with families that I worked with 20 years ago. So I know of a little boy that when I worked with him, he would only eat turkey drumsticks bernard matthews you remember mashed potato but with only flora mixed in Uh okay and it was a it was an issue and i was working with a family and i can vouch for him now and say that he is eating a full diet you know but there is a road that we've got to go you know we've got to go on and i think sometimes we lock children in with fussy eating labels and we go oh you're fussy Mm -hmm. actually let's get rid of that word and say it sounds like you're saying that your less your least favorite food is mushrooms but you're more into zucchini oh interesting Mm -hmm. let's try and also give them some food vocabulary if you want someone to hold your hand down that road, Lisa, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Oh, I'd love to hear from you. So, yes. A lot of the people need some help, it sounds like, today. So, uh, yeah, I talk to everybody. So you can send me a WhatsApp. You'll find, find me on Instagram, principal underscore Lisa on Instagram. 
Um, Helen will give you my number. I will very happily send out her details. If you send me the word food on 4001, <laughs> I will send over Lisa's details, including her phone number. What an offer. Lisa Chankner-Boyd, always an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so thank much. You. And thank you for the advice you gave to me. I will report back and we'll try to avoid tying her to a chair. No promises. Helen Farmer with you and we're talking health this afternoon between now and half past tackling dementia which affects millions of people and is actually more common as people get older around a third of all people aged 85 and up will have some form of dementia but it's not necessarily a normal part of aging many people live into their 90s and beyond without any signs of it so what do we need to know when it comes to some of those red flags and the management we're speaking now to Jennifer Meehan who's nurse manager for mental health of older adults and Professor Tarek Kassan consultant psychiatrist who's specialises in old age, old age psychiatry, pardon me, from Maudsley Health. And I'm completely in awe of both of you and what you do in terms of your interest in this area and in the work that you do support people suffering from it, but also their families. As we know, dementia doesn't just affect one person. It's everyone in that family who is part of that journey and that struggle. And I wouldn't love to actually start with getting a bit of a deeper understanding, Dr Tarek, about what it is. Because I still think there's a bit of confusion about ageing, dementia, Alzheimer's and, and what comes under that label. Are you okay to explain it to me in perhaps not too doctorly terms? Would that be okay? Uh, thank you very much for hosting us today and um, our greeting to the whole audience. So uh, people get confusing or uh, mixing things up between dementia, older ageing or normal ageing and Alzheimer. So um, dementia is a medical condition. It's not uh, part of normal aging. So as we get older, we get a little bit slower in our uh, thinking, may have a little bit of difficulty recalling things, but that shouldn't affect our ability to function independently. And function independently means that I should be able, if I'm physically all right, if I'm able to move around, I should be able to pay my bills, able to uh, have a, a close eye on um, my finance and able to manage all things uh, in life uh, as usual. A little bit slower, but but fairly independent. Uh, dementia, things are not like that. So dementia is kind of an umbrella term. It means that there is kind of cognitive impairment. Cognitive means memory impairment or any other mental uh, processing impairment kind of uh, that render me unable to function independently. So I may start to need help with from other people, support in uh, navigating my surrounding, may not be able to express myself perfectly well mm -hmm. to a degree that hinder communication. And in some rare occasion, people or patients with dementia may start to have personality changes that could uh, make social interaction tricky. So just in a nutshell, dementia means cognitive impairment, memory impairment, that makes the person a little bit dependent on others. This is not normal aging. So the difference between dementia and Alzheimer, dementia is the umbrella term. It has Alzheimer. So Alzheimer is a type of dementia, along with other types of dementia, like vascular dementia, which means that uh, memory loss or cognitive impairment that could happen after stroke and so many other types of dementia. Alzheimer is the most common, it's mm. the most famous, nearly two thirds, 65 percent of cases of dementia, they have Alzheimer. But there are, as I mentioned, other cases of dementia. 
Jennifer, I hope you, that answers yeah, it does, your question. Yeah, it does. I find what, what I find quite difficult to put together then is thinking about this as being a diagnosis and a medical condition and how it actually manifests in day-to-day life and behaviour. And Jennifer, that's very much what you're concerned with. Can you explain a little bit about some of the people you're working with and some of the daily challenges that they're facing with dementia? Absolutely. So as as Dr. Tarek was saying, it's a condition that affects a person's ability to think, remember and perform daily activities. Um, some of the early warning signs that he's mentioned, it's about forgetting recent events, misplacing items, um, having difficulty with language or other communication and struggling with um, making decisions. Um, this has a big impact on the person's ability to um, function throughout the day and need they often need support, particularly with the people that we work with here um, at the hospital. Um, other signs um, that potentially affect uh, people with dementia is their mood, personality and behaviour changes. Um, and this obviously causes them quite a lot of distress um, and they get quite frightened at times. So it's important that we're able to support them from a day-to-day basis. And my role is predominantly around supporting the nursing team with that. It's an incredibly, incredibly cruel disease, Dr. Tarek. And as I said, probably more common than we might realise. I wondered if you could give us any indications in terms of risk factors. You know, do we know what causes dementia and I guess how you reach a diagnosis? Um, okay, so um, unfortunately, the process of dementia, the uh, the kind of brain changes that happens tend to happen that's leading to dementia start in the 40s and 50s. So um, that starts with kind of small but significant uh, cell death, neuronal cell death or brain cell death that creeps up gradually over years. Um, there are risk factors for dementia. So the things that people talk about keeping healthy. Um, There is good body of evidence from the research to indicate that keeping active, physically active, really reduced risk of dementia. Reduced risk doesn't mean abolish risk completely, Mm -hmm. but significantly reduced risk of dementia. So that's one thing. Things like um, looking after our general health, keeping the blood pressure under control, the diabetes under control, quitting smoking, obesity is kind of killer. Keeping mentally active, so try to engage in enriching intellectual or mental activity, all of those things help. If there is one thing that I would like to to say, just one thing, please keep active in the Middle Ages while you are in 40s and 50s. That had a huge positive impact on um, on the risk to dementia. In fact, we know from research that keeping physically active induces or stimulates adult brain uh, regeneration, other brain cell regeneration, that happen, does not happen so much, but physical exercise is one of the strongest factors that could stimulate regeneration of brain cells. Unfortunately, if we don't use those brain cells, they will die off. Use it or lose it. Discussing dementia now with the team from Maudsley Health, we've got Jennifer Meehan with us, who's the nurse manager for mental health in older adults. And Professor Tarek Kassam is consultant psychiatrist who specialises in old age psychiatry. Um, we've have had a number of messages. We're going to be going to the text line. And we've also um, been in conversation with Hannah, whose mum was first diagnosed with a rare form of dementia about 12 years ago. And she was explaining the first signs of that condition. This shows itself at first in the inability to recall very common words. So, for example, she would struggle saying 
pass me the ketchup. She wouldn't be able to say the word ketchup or very everyday words. That was the first sign. Over the last 12 years, she has deteriorated and we are now dealing with somebody who really can't grasp any conversation. Um, Her sense of direction is okay. She can get up and get herself dressed in the morning. She can make her breakfast. She can't grasp day-to-day situations or conversations. She's really at a point where her independence is probably just, we're just about saying goodbye to her independence. Hannah there sharing um, what she's going through with her mum. Um, and thank you for that. And I really do appreciate it. And Jennifer, I saw you nodding along there. And I wondered if you had any advice for anyone that is caring for or worried about someone in their family with dementia, something that you found to be useful. And it couldn't be something practical. Or it could just be words of comfort. Absolutely. Um, It can be very, very difficult for people with dementia and their caregivers. Um, They face a range of challenges with both being physical and emotional. Uh, It's one of the biggest challenges is managing managing their activities of daily living. So as as she was saying about her bathing, dressing and eating, this can be um, a challenge from time and her conversation is changing um, now. Uh, she's beginning to lose her independence. So as it progresses, people with dementia, they often need more assistance um, in activities. And that can be very challenging for caregivers with balancing their other responsibilities, mm-hmm. such as, you know, their work and their family life mm-hmm. that has it there. A major challenge is often managing behavioural and psychological symptoms of dementia, um, which include agitation, aggression, um, anxiety and some symptoms of depression. These can be very distressing for both the person and the caregiver to obviously observe their loved one um, exhibiting these symptoms. Um, We often find that people find themselves socially isolated um, from time to time as well, um, particularly around the caregivers. So what I would say is that it's important that we encourage um, independence where people are still able to contribute and follow that through. Um, and as well as as a caregiver themselves to be able to identify their needs and prioritise themselves as well because as long as they stay healthy Mm -hmm. um, and are able to look after themselves they'll be able to provide better care and support for their loved one. Um, Can I ask you then, Mosey, how how do you work with families? Can you explain a little bit about logistics, about the day-to-day care? Um, so when I work with the the team, um, myself and the wider team work with the person with dementia. Um, we also, when we meet with them, we obviously take in a conversation in relation to um, the, the, their loved ones, their family, their caregivers that, that engage in conversation with them because we need to get a background history on how somebody would present, what's their baseline, what are their likes, their dislikes, how do we encourage that um, to fe- make them feel as supported as they possibly can. Um, and we do offer a um, caregiver support group for people that are under our care at the moment so that we can encourage um, supportive conversations, um, highlighting any risks that may may identify from from their loved ones that we can have daily conversations with. So looking at, you know, um, afternoon sessions where people may need to be doing um, puzzles or if they've got um, outings that they can go to that they particularly like. So using um, distraction techniques that may support people and keeping them active, keeping them engaged is always very helpful. Um, and uh, Professor Tarek, a number of messages come through on 4001 for you. Marley saying, are there any supplements that we can take to keep our brain active and healthy? What about supplementation? I mean, diet, anything that can be useful in that prevention rather than cure piece that we always encourage where possible? Okay, with regard to supplement, um thing is sticking with healthy uh, diet, so kind of varied diet, healthy diet, 
trying to deduce the uh, the things that are not helpful for us, though the high sugary, high carbohydrate, calorically dense food, things like that. Also sticking with fairly low salt and um, uh, colored. Colored means that a veg diet or kind of the diet that has so many colors. Eat to the it, rainbow. So, uh, <laughs> pardon? Eat the rainbow. Yes, exactly, exactly. So uh, because there is no evidence that the uh, uh, the uh, supplement that people get uh, from pharmacies really are as helpful as the diet that people get unless the person has specific vitamin deficiency that's mm-hmm. totally different but if we're talking about generally otherwise healthy person so just keep a healthy diet in mind and avoid um, non-healthy food uh, john saying um you know, population in the UAE is getting older. Are we seeing a rise in the number of dementia patients here? What, do you, what are you seeing in, in the region, do you think? Okay, so it's, it's interesting because of the estimate figure of patients with dementia, so these are estimates. Uh, patients with dementia here is kind of between 11 and 14,000 person. Uh, that's currently. It's based on a calculation that we have a quarter million person who are above the uh, the age of 60. Um, in 2050, the number of patients who are expected to have dementia could be between 15 and 18 folds. That's according to the WHO wow. projections. Oh, it's it's quite huge, it's especially huge. that uh, the population. Yes, it is huge. But I also wonder if there's still a, an element of confusion around this. I'm not saying there's misdiagnosis, but perhaps just a lack of understanding of what someone might be going through could be an indication of dementia. Um, so they're perhaps not getting the help that they need. Um, we've had a question about about treatment, really, and this isn't something that, that necessarily goes away, but it can be managed, I hope, um, under medication. And Jennifer, I wondered if you could perhaps speak to that in terms of what management can look like when working with nursing staff and, and with a doctor in, under their care as well. Absolutely. So I can speak about the non-pharmacological management that we would use while um, on the units and with the wider nursing team. Um, we work with, along with our psychologist um, under Maudsley Health um, and the OT specialist as well. So it's a very much a combination um, under the non-pharmacological aspects of things. We do a lot of orientation. We do a lot of um, encouraging people's independence where they can. We offer different um, or varied diet across the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we support people with cognitive stimulation therapy, which is a group that is actively run um, across our wards um, and led by um, our colleagues on the unit um, and that's um, over has 14 sessions and we encourage um, different different senses to be engaged during that time and it's often things that are culturally appropriate to the area mm-hmm. so we would look in, listening to specific types of music different types of food different types of activities wow. we encourage people to um, go out in the grounds that we have here or if they're in the community um, different areas that they like so they may like um, animals or they may like going to play chess or th- different aspects like that so we would encourage activities in groups in that way. Um, we spend a lot of time doing reminiscence and having conversations about meaningful conversations about people's lifetime whether they've worked what their family life is like and how we would engage further from that. I don't know Dr Tarek if you'd like to speak about the pharmacological aspect. We've only got a, a, uh, about yeah. a minute left Doctor but if you're able to give us a quick overview on how, how you know that kind of pharmaceutical side can help that would be very very useful 
Yeah, just this is pertinent now because after 20 years of having lack of medication developed by the pharmaceutical companies, um, yes, uh, last year we had the first medication that has been disease modified. Disease modified means that it works uh, tackling the pathology, mm -hmm. so it reduces the progression of the illness by removing one of the toxic proteins that accumulate in the brain. So um, this medication necessitates that patients are diagnosed quite early. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. We see patients who are who come to our clinic, come to clinic attention quite late. So we're talking about a person who started just started to to forget, but they have they have been otherwise fairly independent, but this forgetfulness is becoming progressively worse. So those medications are, are licensed here in UAE and uh, and the States and they reduce slow down the the underlying cause of the uh, Alzheimer's disease, uh, which is quite different to what we had uh, two years ago or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. in fact. And one last question, and I can't have too much time, but I think it's a really important one that David flag saying, is dementia hereditary? So that's a good question for you, Dr. Tarek. Tell us, tell us in, a, in a nutshell, uh, what are the genetic factors? Okay, so so if we're talking about genetic, genetic means that uh, if I have the illness, it's it, it, it's kind of fate that my son or my daughter would have an illness. So the evidence that these genetic diseases are common, they are very rare. They are not that common. So this is one thing. However, families share a lot of environmental. Uh, habits. So, mm, uh, yeah, if difficult. it's the culture of the family to eat unhealthy food, if they're not physically active, well, those risk factors are shared by family members. So, you would find that a spouse, uh, we have spouses having dementia, doesn't mean that the spouse has transmitted dementia to his yeah. wife or, or, or husband, but because they share environment. There is genetics, but it's not as strong. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. As I said, I think you do incredible work there. Um, just so, so admirable. And thank you for shining a light on dementia today. Uh, Professor Tarek Kassam and Jennifer Meehan speaking to us from Maudsley Health. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. The clock is ticking. Art Dubai is back. 1st of March, Madnat Jamira. Always so much to see and do, not only for passionate art lovers, but for families, anyone who wants to see a bit of culture, do some great people watching, I have to say. Um, and joining us in the studio now is Executive Director of Art Dubai, Bernadette Gurney, joining us. Thank you for making the time, because I'm sure you're in, in kind of crazy frantic planning mode. How's it all going? It's going. Thank you so much for having me. You're I'm very welcome. excited to be here. It's the 16th edition of Art Dubai, which is about the same time that I've been in Dubai. And it's, as I said, it's one of my favourite events in kind of the, the cultural calendar. Some great Art Dubai parties in the past. Um, really, really good fun. Why do you think it has been so enduring when we have seen some things kind of fall by the wayside in the cultural calendar? I think it's a really unique proposition, you know, and it's a kind of huge celebration of art. You have over 1,400 artworks, paintings, sculptures, installations by 450 artists, leading international artists from all over the world. I think that's really unique to experience under and one it, roof. And it comes to us. This is the lovely thing, you know, I, I love traveling and going to museums and galleries, but... It's more time consuming. You go to the mud nut and you can, you know, take it all in. Um, I'm wondering what you're excited about, Bernadette. Well, who are you ex excited to meet and see um, based on the work that you've seen or conversations that you've had? 
I'm really excited about the variety of, of what we have on offer. I'm particularly thrilled about our Dubai Digital. So it's the second edition of uh, our section dedicated to digital art. It got a great response last year. I think people really loved interacting with I new did, media. Because we hear so much about it, but it feels, and I don't mean any pun intended, it felt a bit abstract until I went to Art Dubai last year and I started to see what digital art can look like, how to interact with it. And um, I took my in-laws and their minds were completely blown by it all. So are we going to be seeing NFTs this year as well? We are, but we're also going to see a broad spectrum of all that digital art can be. So it's immersive installations, for example, in the Julius Bear Lounge, we're going to have an amazing AI generated work by, you know, famed international artist Rafik Anadol. There's going to be a lot of generative art where you're actually interacting and the art is being made in front of you. So NFTs, but much, much more than that. Can you buy art at Art Dubai? It's one of the most common questions. Absolutely, you can. uh, And you should if you can and would like to. But it's so much more than that. It's really a celebration. And I hope that people aren't intimidated by the concept that it's a commercial. Thank you for saying that, because I think it can feel a bit other. You know, it's like people who are into art go to Art Dubai. And I know next to nothing True, and I really mean that. I'm, I'm talking like you know, trivial pursuit levels of knowing about artists, like very, very poor level of of, of, of kind of no general knowledge. But that doesn't that shouldn't stop someone going along and seeing pieces, connecting with pieces. And sometimes that's like that does nothing for me. But oh my goodness, you know, this is my favorite in this space. Or now I'm starting to understand what digital art is and the significance of that, you know, for the future. But it's not just art. Um, what else have you got going on? No, it's really culture at large, right? So we have an incredible program of talks, over 50 talks where you can come and hear from artists themselves about their experiences and how they got into the field, which I think is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. We have a daily program of performances that are going to be by 10 South Asian artists around food. Uh, so again, something really easy, you know, to access and, and get excited about. And then, of course, we have our amazing ARM Holding Children's Program. Now, one of my highlights from last year was one of the artists, and please forgive me, I can't remember his name, but amazing artist who salvaged scraps from around his home. Um, and I believe it was in Nairobi um, where, and he turned them into these spectacles and turn, it, it, he was so inspirational. We're talking about how he sold his first piece for, you know, like $10 and now they go for, you know, six digits. And that really stuck with my kids as well because they, st- they, st- they saw a different way of life, if that makes sense. So what have you got planned for the children this year, Benedetta? Yeah, so that was Cyrus Kabir. Thank you. Um, and for the third <laughs> edition, we have Jacob Dahlgren, Swedish artist. And what the RM Holding Children's Program really tries to do is bring this incredible international talent to the UAE and make it accessible. So at the fair, he's going to be doing workshops where he's going to teach children how to experience their environment and turn it into an abstract work of art so how so kids to, can make it absolutely so they start by doing a drawing and then that drawing is turned into shapes and once it's fully abstracted it's turned into flags and children can take it home it's for age groups 5 to 17 in three different age groups we're opening online registrations next week for anyone who's particularly organized but we'll also have daily drop-in <laughs> sessions for anyone who isn't you um so here's my question to you and i would 
I would love to be in a position of buying some art. How accessible is it when it comes to price points? And also, does that old kind of advice apply of buy what you like? Always buy what you love. That's really like my number one and really only um, piece of advice. We have a huge range of prices. We really want to be a fair of discovery. So we try and be a place where you come and you find artwork by young and emerging talent that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So 100% there is something for everyone. We're also more than happy to help anyone who really wants to get into buying a work of art and wouldn't really know how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. So we're very much on hand to help that process. Remind me how many artists you've got coming over? About 400? Over 450. I can't even begin to imagine the logistics and the responsibility of bringing their pieces here. What's that like? What's that pressure like? It's a lot of work, but we have an incredible, dedicated team of consumed professionals. So th- there is an element of obviously learning mm-hmm. year on year. So so hopefully we've got it covered. Um, and I had a couple of messages asking about tickets and hours and things like that. Are you able to share that? The logistics, how can we get those passes sorted come 1st of March? Absolutely. So we are open to the public from the 3rd to the 5th of March. On Friday the 3rd and Saturday the 4th, that's 2 to 9 p.m. And on the 5th, it's 12 to 6. You can buy tickets online now. They are 90 dirhams for a one-day pass and 150 dirhams for the three-day pass, which I think is amazing value because there's so much to do and to experience. Well, thank you so, so much. Website, where's the best place to go and have a nosy? That's ardubai.ae. And then, of course, all of our social channels where we're on hand to answer any questions that anyone may have. Benedetta, thank you so much for joining us. All the rest of you and the team, I'm going to let you get back to your probably enormous Excel spreadsheet. <gasps> yep, it is. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's an absolute job well done. And as I said, a real highlight for so many people here. In Dubai, they call him the yogipreneur because Alawagam had quite the shift from corporate business life into a world of yoga. And this Sunday, he will be the headliner teaching Vinyasa Flow at a free one-day wellness festival active on the beach. We're still on the way. He hasn't even brought a yoga mat with him today. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. How are you? I'm so happy to see you again, Ellen. It's been too long. It's been way too long. And in that time, I have to say, I've just seen your success just grow and grow and the impact you've had in the yoga community, which I think for some people can feel a bit kind of other, but also just in in Dubai in general. And I think we're hoping to talk about being inclusive this afternoon and helping out as many people as possible. But before we talk yoga, I want to talk about your beginnings, really, because you were in the corporate world for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about that life and how you felt about it at the time. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I'm so happy to see you all the time. Um, Yeah, so as you know, I started in corporate, uh, living in Dubai since uh, about um, 15 years, 16 years now. So I did for 10 years and um, I think like many people, you know, when you woke up every morning to to go to the office, um, like either if you work in corporate or if you are an entrepreneur, which I was, um, and you don't feel happy, you know, like going to the office, taking shower, uh, getting ready doesn't make you feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is what I decided to to like make a move and listen to my true calling because I reached a point after ten years of corporate uh, years and activities um, that I did I was not happy in the morning. I mean, this was really because I had discussion coming very often. What pushed you to change? This was the real reason. Every morning, I could not find happiness. 
really. And this is, I, I, I felt deep inside that I have to make a move. But a lot of people just continue to live that way and go, mm. do you know what? Life's life. Got to do work. Got to earn money. This is what I've got to do. And just keep on that grind. And I'm certainly not judging that because a lot of people have a lot of mm-hmm. you know, responsibilities or, you know, there might not be... Uh, uh, though they can't see a way out I suppose That's is what I'm saying yeah, so yeah. for you it's a, it's a bold step to say I'm not feeling fulfilled I'm not living by my values I'm not excited to get up in the morning to, to then make a shift and go okay if not this then what? Mm. what what was that decision like and how did you start to identify what you did want to do the first things what, what stopped people and what stopped me back in this it's fear you know it's uncertainty and we all live in, into this fear like we don't know how Tomorrow, next month, next year will be made up, especially when you're not alone, if you're married, if you have uh, kids and responsibilities or responsibility of your parents or whatsoever. So that's, that's the main thing. And I developed this topic uh, during my TEDx, you know, how to manage your fear. So just by being at the present moment. So back in the days, I didn't really know that. I know fear was like something stopping me to move forward, but I couldn't put a word on that, you know. So uh, I don't know, the, the, the move came very simply because my body could not take it anymore. I, I had uh, a pre-heart attack, and that means uh, I had l- like a heart condition, you know. How old were you at that point? 30, 31, I guess. Young! Uh, yeah, I know. I was, uh, I was working a lot, you know. I had my company with many employees. So it's, it's not easy when, uh, when you live in Dubai, when you're young and you have your own um, concept, your own uh, corporate and the responsibility of all these families that you're feeding. So. And also probably a bit of, you know, going out and socialising and... Not a bit. Not, quite, <laughs> not a bit quite a lot. Quite a lot. I think this is the thing. So you, you, you go to the gym, but you don't um, do something functional. You just go to the gym to give you better conscience, I'll say, you know. Yeah, tick, so, a, tick a box Exactly, maybe. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. you don't even know what you're doing. So you, you're eating a lot of protein, so you put your body in debt all the time. You go out because you think that you need to balance uh, your happiness because you spend from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. in the office. So it was all too much, you know. It was too much success, too much work, too much workout, too much of everything. And I guess my heart, and it was the best gift that happened to me, told me, hey, man, just take it easy because... You're going nowhere like that. And moving in this direction, I was not happy. So I was like running, trying to escape my own life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just decided, I mean, my body decided <laughs> to, your, you know. Your hand was forced. Speaking of heart, your wife played a role as well in terms of you making some Definitely, changes. Yeah, what, yeah. What, tell us about that. This is actually when I met my wife. It was right after when this happened. Um, and I was looking for a way to go back to some uh, fitness activities, do some rehab, you know. Uh, and she told me, why don't you do yoga? I told him, I cannot do yoga. I'm a man. Uh, yoga is for women. I don't want to wear leggings. Uh, I don't want to be in, in, in yoga room. I want to be in a gym. And she told me, maybe you don't know yoga. Uh, you should try. It's not that easy. And uh, so I was like, okay. So uh, I went to my first yoga class and I discovered first that I was not as strong as I thought. Oh, you had a bit of a humbling moment. Ooh, after 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> I started sweating. <laughs> it's, out not, of, uh, it's not just ladies in leggings. There's yeah, more it, to it, it than it, this. Much more than that, much deeper. I didn't have to wear leggings, which is also pretty cool. And no, at the end of the day, you know, I, I really want to say thank you to my wife, uh, Anna. And actually today we're celebrating our five years anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you so much. And, uh, she's in the green room. Yeah, she's in the green room. And so basically, yeah. So uh, this was the switch. I, 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 I'd start yoga as a rehab. Mm-hmm. So 
you know how it is. You don't really want to go, you know, and but you still you go like once a week. Uh, I see once a month, then once a week, then twice a week, then maybe once a day. And then you start taking as a challenge. And this was what drive me there. So pretty much all my life, I run away from yoga. And yoga always came to my life in some different uh, form, under different forms. So. He has embraced it. He is the yogapreneur with us this afternoon. Joining us in the studio now, Alawagam. He has got a new book out. He is also known as the Yogipreneur, and he's going to be headlining the Vinyasa Flow at a free one-day wellness event this weekend on the Palm, active on the beach. Now, you were saying that you spent your life running away from yoga, and it just kept throwing itself in your path, and you've embraced it in, in fine style. And I wondered if you could perhaps speak to why you think a lot of men are resistant to yoga. Maybe some of the myths and misconceptions about it that you had yourself, the leggings for one. <laughs> That's definitely one of the reasons, um, the cliche, let's say. you know. But it's funny because uh, initially yoga have been uh, made by men for mm-hmm. men, you know, but uh, this was like uh, in the past time. I don't know, I, I guess uh, there is something, uh, being a man in, into a population of women in, in a room full of uh, Women can be a little bit intimidated. Uh, Some men might love that, though. <laughs> yeah, not for long, usually. <laughs> <laughs> not when you've had your humbling moment in front of some lycrid lovelies. That's, that's the thing, I guess. <laughs> so it's very intimidating. I guess this is the reason number one. Uh, but it, it's changing a lot. It's changing a lot. Like um, I'm doing a lot of uh, activation, uh, especially here for the government entities with Dubai Sports Council, uh, also doing uh, like Dubai Active. And there is more more men and more Arab men uh, who actually start yoga and they love it. And uh, my class are full of men. Now, I guess I'm almost 50-50. Wow, that's mm. amazing. Yeah, I love that. I've, I've started seeing broga classes around. Do you, yeah. think, do you think, you know, all male classes can be useful or, I guess, remove a bit of a barrier of that intimidation? I believe personally... All type of yoga are great. You know, it really depends on the instructor and the relationship that you build with your instructor. So, yeah, broga, why not? It's like marketing at the end of the day. But yeah. if, if it's break uh, the intimidation, that's, that's a win, you know. Tell us a little bit about what life's like now. You went from working very hard, partying pretty hard, <laughs> and then had that, that health crisis. What does wellness mean to you now? Because I feel like that word often... Well, it loses a bit of meaning, mm-hmm. but I also think it means different things to different people. What, what about you and your relationship with it? Oh, the main thing now, I'm happy. And that was the switch um, with my previous life. Um, before I was content, but not happy. Mm-hmm. Now that's the main thing. Now, what's wellness for me? I guess wellness is a part of what I like to call well-being, which is the state of being well in your mind, in your body, feeling connected. And wellness is a part of it, uh, like fitness, um, which is more physical activities, um, mental health, you know, mental sanity, emotional uh, balance, you know, all this, it's a part of how you feel. And yoga, it's a very easy answer uh, to start finding the balance into your well-being journey. Tell us a little bit about the book. You co-authored it and it's actually a transcription of conversation. Tell us about who Correct. you wrote it with. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited. And, so it's, uh, it's new, it's just out. Yeah, just last week. Congratulations. Uh, it's, thank you so much. It's the first book um, written with my co-author, uh, Ragda. So it's a conversation uh, with one of my students. Actually, she used to be my student. And um, she, she went through a difficult phase. And just a testimony of how yoga, through her journey, helped her to overcome all these problems that she was facing, which is lust and grief and 
a bit of depression, a little bit of feeling bad. So during our conversation, we, we deal with 10 topics, Dharma, Purpose, Father, Motherhood. Um, we deal with like fears. So it's, it's like 10 easy chapters that help her come out this situation through um, what yoga taught me into my own journey. Mm-hmm. So guru literally means, gu means the, the, the darkness in Sanskrit and ru means the light. So guru, it's a person or, or an action that takes someone from the shadow into the light. So that's why we say in yoga, you need a guru to be enlightened. So this is uh, a testimony of our journey of both of us. And your relationship. Correct. Yeah. Um, do you have a guru yourself? Of course. I have many gurus. <laughs> yeah. I have many gurus. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I was very fortunate. When, when I decided to, to, to stop my corporate uh, journey and start my yoga journey because yoga came to me, I decided to embrace it. I traveled the world and I met so much interesting people. I mean, honestly, and you don't even need to travel the world, uh, by the way, because in Dubai you have extreme, extreme interesting people that can really help uh, in, in terms of skills and uh, personal experience. So yeah, I have many gurus in different things, you know, um, concerning yoga, concerning meditation, concerning uh, personal growth development. So yeah, I, I have... Uh, <laughs> That's really fascinating. <laughs> That's, yeah, um, I look up to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, a lot of people look up to you and I know this weekend is going to be incredibly busy because you're, uh, you are going to be there on the beach. Tell us a little bit about what's in store for yeah. Active on the Beach. This, we, we're very excited. Uh, it's an initiative brought by Dubai Active. Uh, they know for, they're known for this um, like exhibition that they do every year. Um, I'm a part of it since many years. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a full wellness day. Uh, there's two zones. There is the beach stage and the wellness zone. So I'll, I'll be starting, I'll be teaching a vinyasa flow with my signature vinyasa at 9 a.m. Uh, and then it will be followed by some Zumba class, some circle mobility workouts, uh, and all the day long until uh, sunset uh, with the sunset yoga. And into the wellness zone, you have different activity, breath work, uh, meditation and uh, the signing of my book. I'll, I'll be oh, with uh, Le- with I've Ragda. already got mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be with Ragda uh, Elazab at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, on the on the wellness zone. So yeah, it's going to take place in the Kampinski. So a beautiful five star resort on the Pandromira. And it's free. And it's free. Uh, it's already quite booked. So guys, if you want to join us, be on <laughs> the waiting list. We'll come, make space for you for sure. Thank you so, but, so uh, much. Definitely, yeah. It's something that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, enjoy it. Enjoy your success. It's been hard-earned. And as I said, I think, uh, I think you have to be very fast to get along to the Dubai Active Show. That's the website, um, DubaiActiveShow.com. If you want that and want the chance to meet Aloha, by all means, drop me a little message, say yoga, and I will send you the link. And what's the best way of getting in touch with you and keeping up to date with uh, the classes that you're hosting and so much more? I guess Instagram, like uh, at Alawa Yoga or just Alawa Gam, my website, Alawa Yoga. I mean, there's all information on Thank social. You so Thank much. you so much. Thank you so much. Great to see you and and looking so, so well. Namaste. Yoga, if you want the details of that happening over the weekend. We're talking tech this afternoon. Joining us live on the line is Danesh. He's the editor at Tea Break Media. And if if it's gadgets, news, reviews, he is your man. Danesh, how are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? I'm really well. We've got some great bits of news, but we've also had lots of questions for you on the text line. So mm-hmm. how do you feel about a bit of a tech clinic this afternoon? 
Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's let's kick off with a question, and I want to hear. I want to talk Potter because I left my kids uh, this morning watching Harry Potter five, and uh, I think you're going to be adding some fuel to that fire. Um, <laughs> Jim's been in touch saying, um, "Great timing, guys. I'm going skiing, and want to know if GoPros are still the best cameras for active sports, and if so, what's the best right now? If not, what should I be buying?" GoPros, something that I still can't quite get my head around in terms of the functionality of them. I'm going to be completely honest. All right. Tell us, so what should as, Jim be getting? As far as GoPros are concerned, um, I actually think that, especially for something like skiing, consider a 360 camera. So either the Insta360 uh, One X3 or the Insta360 RS. Now, the reason I suggest these two devices is because one of them, which is the RS, is a GoPro as well as a 360 camera, while the other is just a 360 camera. And in such high-action sports, the great thing about a 360 camera is you just put it on, and it's recording everything, all 360 degrees around you all the time. And then you can pick and choose later what you want to show on socials or YouTube mm. or whatever. Oh, that sounds awesome. Okay, let's talk price comparison there because, you know, GoPro has really kind of dominated that field for quite some time. Right. Well, what are we looking at in terms of price comparisons just off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, the uh, Insta360 One X3, which is the 360 camera, is uh, somewhere in the 1800 dirhams range, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the One RS is just over 2000 dirhams. Um, a little more expensive than the GoPro, in my opinion, better than the GoPro. Okay. Jim, go forth, record your action, send it over on the WhatsApp, keen, keen to see. Let's talk Potter, because... Hogwarts okay. Legacy, um, massive, obviously, adaptation of The Wizarding World, is yep. um, absolutely <laughs> flying. Uh, please pardon the broomstick pun. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about some of the records it's already broken, Dinesh. Right, so it's absolutely gone everywhere. So the game is called Hogwarts Legacy, and it is, like, it's first of all got all the best reviews. Um, like, Metacritic is rating it at 86%, which is in extremely high for a game. Uh, it's already got uh, 1.3 million people watching content for it on Twitch. Sorry, this is over a million yeah. people watching other people play it. Correct. On across Twitch, not on like one stream, yeah, yeah. but across that's... Twitch. Um, but that's still awesome numbers. And in general, I, I'm not exactly a gamer, but I cannot wait to get my hands on the game. Because of the very simple fact that the game sounds amazing. It's not all goody two shoes the way the movie was. Um, you can cast uh, the unforgivable spells. You can uh, be a bad guy, actually. And you go through the entire world slow and steady, developing your pace. So, like, for example, it's not like you just walk into the game and you can fly a broom. No, no, no. You have to, like, go through school and learn how to fly it. <laughs> and uh, your, your spells on day one aren't super powerful. You have to learn your way through and that's the part of the game that everyone is loving is there a sorting hat will i find out which house i'm in yes yes there's a sorting hat 100 percent. there's a sorting hat there's rooms there's all the possible spells and like i said just the absolute awesomeness of being the bad guy now my husband's loving watching our daughters kind of fall in love with his beloved harry potter um that's the best what is the age group you think this game's kind of pitched at and what what consoles is it on uh it's on the ps5 it's on uh, xbox and obviously on pc but uh i 
don't know the official numbers, but I do know that it is a slightly more adult-focused mm-hmm. game. Not that teens can't play it, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe maybe your girls would be a little too young for it. But uh, but yeah, soon then. Soon, 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 soon. Okay, to the text line. Um, Mike, always, always a good question. I'm always keen to get your take on this. First time phone for my 10-year-old son. Um, and okay. I, know, I know some some companies are kind of pitching kind of low-tech smartphones, for want of a better phrase, right. aimed at young people, but also older people as well. Um, are, there right. any, are there any that have kind of stood out in the market to your mind? So uh, in, as far as phones go, uh, I'm sorry, how old was this child? 10. 10, yeah. So a 10-year-old nowadays pretty much knows exactly what they want, especially teachers-wise, because uh, their friends in school are getting it at that point. I would always suggest going down the route of the same suggestion you give someone with their first car. Get something that can be broken nicely, can be crashed once or twice. Same thing with the phone. Um, uh, Get something that is not going to break your bank. Please don't give 10-year-old kids iPhones. But, um, but yeah, something from, for example, uh, a base-level Samsung device or a Nokia. A Nokia has loads of good offerings in that range. Um, so, yeah, something like that is what I would suggest. I am going to clip you saying that. Please don't give a 10-year-old an iPhone and make <laughs> and put, that, put that on a promo for this show. Then I no, thank you for you saying th- that. You, <laughs> you think that that's, not, that's a, not a big problem, but it is. Oh, no, I know it is. Kids, it's Dubai. I am fully aware. Yeah, kids, kids get on groups and then suddenly they're like, oh, you don't have an iPhone, so I can't iMessage you. And there it starts. Mm-hmm. I had my then seven-year-old asking for an iPhone 14 for Christmas. She didn't really know what it was. She just saw it on a YouTube ad and was trying a luck. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's not happening. Okay, let's talk music briefly. Uh, David yeah. Guetta reckons the future of music is in AI. What is he saying and what is he doing? Right. So uh, just a few days ago, maybe about uh, a week or two weeks ago, he puts out this video, right? And in the track, he's got Eminem rapping in the song. And everyone's like, wait, what? Eminem? When did you do a track with Eminem? But he hadn't. Mm-hmm. He releases that video, uh, that video on um, Twitter saying it's not Eminem. It's, uh, I have to spell this out, but it's Emin. So E-M-I-N, hash, uh, sorry, uh, uh, dash A-I, Dash EM. Uh, and, was, and so uh, basically, he used two AI softwares to create Eminem's voice. I mean, to the, show the what copyright it would be like. around this is just so, a shambles, I would imagine. So that's, but that's going to happen, right? That's 100% going to happen where artists, once they become famous enough, are going to start registering their voices. Right. And then at some point, they're probably going to start earning through it. So probably you're going to be like, oh, yeah, so download our software and we have the rights to Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> and that's I'd what's going to happen. Right? But does, yeah, but does exactly. this mean so artists necessarily could just be sitting back and letting, the, you know, the, the software do the work and they bring in all the money? But does the flip side of that mean that artists might not be necessary anymore? Yeah, that's the whole point, right? Because now I'll give you an example. As a YouTube content creator, I have been checking out these websites that have AI-generated music, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the thing with AI-generated music is that it's copyright-free and I can use it. But what's also happening is that where is the AI learning from? It's learning from current music, so it mm-hmm. tends to copy all the time. So it's one of those yin-yang things where it can happen, depends on who's going to control it, how it's going to work out. Interesting. Um, now, this is where I confess something. Um, my brother's band, so my brother's a drummer, um, they actually used AI to write their latest, their latest album. 
just to let you know. Yeah, yeah the, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes all the sense. Why not use something to your own strength? I mean, they obviously worked with it, but they used a little bit of for um, for the lyrics, using Carino for poetry as well. So yeah. it's, inter- it's, an interest- it's an interesting one. It's an interesting time. We're going to squeeze in one last question. Ricky's been in touch saying, I'm a building contractor looking for a time-lapse camera, not high-end, but also, um, you know, kind of not too expensive. Any insights for a good time-lapse? That would be, I, I love a good time-lapse, especially on something like building or plant growing. What, how can you help Ricky? So considering it's building contracting, I will go back to my earlier recommendation of getting a 360 camera again for the very simple reason that it is heavily used right now. Um, now, I don't know what he meant by expensive because a time-lapse camera can go all the way up to like 10 grand, do 10,000 dirhams. <laughs> so sorry about that. So yeah, it's um, I, again, I'd say that one of these 360 cameras would be really nice because he could kind of walk through the space, see how it's being constructed, create content for his pages if he's got them or generally for his viewing so i again suggest to go down that path but that being said if he does have a decent three four year old phone lying at home that could very much be his time last camera as well and mm-hmm. save him a bunch of money well said can you say the name of that camera one more time for ricky and anyone else that's interested it's the insta 360 one rs or one x3 Danesh, you're a superstar. We've run out of time. We have run out of questions. We'll have you back, of course. In the meantime, what's the best way of catching up with you and the guys at Tea Break? Uh, Tea Break is at Tea Break Tech on all socials, and I'm Dan Tox, D-W-A-N-T-A-L-K-S. Right, go forth. Get your hands in a copy of Hogwarts Legacy, and we'll talk soon, okay? <laughs> Dan, do. <laughs> all right, have a good one. Let me know. Oh, you. I think you would be... I think you're Gryffindor. That's where, that's where I'd put my money, or Danesh. <laughs> Danesh speaking to us from Tea Break. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.